Hello, and welcome to Your Investment Partners with Paul and Garrett, where we talk about all things financial, focusing on helping you plan, keep, and grow for a successful future. If you're new to the podcast, welcome. And if you're tuning in again, welcome back and thank you for listening. Hello, and welcome to Your Investment Partners with Paul and Garrett. What are some important financial dates, milestones, and numbers you need to know for 2024? Hopefully, we don't make your head spin, but today we cover specific financial changes that happen around certain birthdays and even more exciting, 2024 tax brackets. Every situation is different, and these are general tips, but if you have questions about your specific situation, please reach out either by phone or email. My name is Garrett Smith, and we look forward to having you with us today. Welcome back. Here we go again. Another one today. Awesome. I think anytime in January, it's always good to look at important numbers, dates, milestones, kind of anything that's coming up for the year. Just have some numbers in the back of your mind to know what tax brackets look like. Maybe you're having a birthday and you're 59 and a half this year because <laughs> everybody celebrates their 59 and a half birthday. <laughs> yeah, I don't know where the government go over these half year things. 59 and a half, age 70, 70 and a half. Yeah. <laughs> but we just kind of wanted to cover these things. So listen for a birthday or an income range. And we're going to cover far more than probably is necessary for this is just some general ideas and general understanding. So you can kind of dive into your specific situation. And we're happy to help you do that. But kind of wanted to make you aware of what things were available at what dates. <laughs> yeah. And so the first one, I think, is just looking at ages and kind of the first age you hit where things start to change is age 50 because it allows you to start making what's called catch-up contributions. And we'll talk about what those limits are, but if you're in the savings years and you reach age 50, you can save a little bit more than what you've previously been able to save. Yeah, they're just trying to get you to, hey, pay attention here. You're going to retire here in the next, hopefully, 15 years and take a good look at it. And do you need to put some more money away? The next one is age 59 and a half. So age 59 and a half, a half, not 59 and a quarter or three quarters, 59 and a half. After age 59 and a half, you can start taking money out of your deferred retirement plans without paying the 10% penalty. If you do it when you're 50 or 55, if you don't do it correctly, normally, if you just do it the normal way, there's a 10% penalty. There are ways you can get around it, just so you know, but Age 59 and a half is kind of the magic birthday there. Yeah. And that 10% sits on top of your taxes. It's not like it's a deduction exactly. from your taxes. Yeah. It's just a penalty right on top. The other kind of big date, it, you're turning 62 this year, you're eligible for social security. And so you, you just ask the question, is it worth taking or not? I think every year that you're eligible to take social security, you should ask yourself that question every year from 62 on mm -hmm. uh, up until you take it. The other one that was interesting at age 62, which I did not know this, until studying for this was that's when you're eligible for reverse mortgage. I had no idea that there was like a an age criteria on reverse mortgages, but if you're 62, you're eligible to look at a reverse mortgage as a possible extra cash flow. Yeah, and those can even be like reverse mortgage line of credits. Mm -hmm. You know, you don't necessarily have to start tapping or using them, but it could just be another option for some flexibility in the plan. So, uh, one area to look there's age uh, 65, you reach eligible for coverage under Medicare. That's a big one. Usually those that want to retire before age 65, health insurance is one of the biggest considerations mm -hmm. we look at because yeah. it's expensive. It doesn't matter 
how you slice it, it's, there's a cost somewhere. That's because all the old people have all the health problems. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you look for health insurance when you're 62 and early retired, it's expensive. So yeah. 65 is a good number. Yeah. So if you're just kind of default looking at retirement, usually 65 is a plans really start to look a lot better around that age just because you don't have the added expense of health insurance. Yeah. And then full retirement age, which is Social Security, that is somewhere between ages 66 and 67. I wish they would just pick one, but it's a rolling date yeah. depending on your birthday. You know, it's 66 and two months and four months and six months. So your Social Security statement will share specifically when your full retirement age is. Some things change around that full retirement age, so knowing that's good, but somewhere between 66 and 67. Yeah. And of course, I'm one of the first ones that had to go clear fully to 67. So yeah, there you go. Uh, Lucky me. Yep. Age 70. If you haven't filed for social security by age 70, you definitely need to do so because that it caps off there. So there's no reason to wait any longer. Even if you're still working, get your social security started at age 70. Yeah. So every year between age 62 and 70, you got to ask yourself the question, is it worth taking Social Security? And there's a lot of considerations about whether you should do it or not, depending on goals and plans and working. And because you can get dinged. It can be expensive if you take it too early. Yeah. So for that kind of eight-year window, just know that every time around your birthday around or in January, you just say, should I take Social Security this yep. year? Do some math on it for sure. One nice thing is they changed RMD with kind of all those, there's just a ton of rules and regulations that got changed through the COVID. RMD, years. what do you mean there? So on RMD is a required minimum distribution. There you go. You've deferred your money long enough is basically what Uncle Sam is saying. So if you have a deferred IRA, you need to start taking money out of it because Uncle Sam wants their taxes. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if that's the real reason, but it's definitely- I think it, it is. <laughs> <laughs> but you've deferred long enough. And so there's a percentage of your account that needs to come out the next year. And that required minimum distribution used to be seven and a half, goes all the way now to 75. Somewhere mm-hmm. in that range, you need to start taking it depending on your birthday. But the nice thing that they did anchor was at 70 and a half, even if you're not eligible for an RMD, you can still do qualified charitable distributions. And what that means is you just can take money out of your IRA have it sent directly to a charity. You get a deduction for a charitable contribution, but you also do not have to pay taxes on the money coming out of the IRA. So it's a, if you have charitable intent, it's by far the best thing that there's ever been for that. Yep. So if you're over 70 and a half or turning 70 and a half, because once again, celebrate your half birthday. Isn't that like an Alice in Wonderland thing? Don't they celebrate half birthdays? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> anyway, if you're 70 and a half, and you have charitable intent, give to a church, charity, a 501c3 organization, anything like that, you want to look at maybe taking advantage of the qualified charitable distribution. Yep. So those are kind of some important ages to look at if you're having a birthday in one of those. Some important dates now we kind of want to look at. Obviously, if you have quarterly payments, those are January 15th is the cutoff for the previous year. Mm-hmm. Make sure you get your quarterlies for Q4 done by January 15th. And then it's April 15th, June 15th, September 15th, and then again, January 15th right. for your quarterly payments. Don't miss those. Don't miss. It's expensive. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I think it's particularly hard if it's your first year you're doing it. So kind of once you're in the hopper and used to doing it, it's a little easier to remember. But we always like to remind people, if you got quarterly payments, don't miss them. 
Put those on the calendar. <laughs> I think other things to look at, right? April 15th is tax season. It does get extended to October 15th if you file an extension. Which happens more and more all the time now, seems like. Oh, yeah. There's Things are supposed to be sent out by certain dates, but if reconciliate, you know, we're supposed to send our tax documents in February, but if there's reconciliation hasn't happened at the company level, then you get what's called- An amended 1099, which- most of you are familiar with and hate, and, yeah. and, and we hate it even worse. Yeah. <laughs> we promise we're getting to you as fast as we can because we don't actually do it. <laughs> yeah, well, and, and that's why we tell people, try and have your tax appointment as late as possible. The poor accountants, they're trying to get everybody done. And anyway, it's, it is what it is. It's out of our control. And, right. But, but if, you have, you know, if you just have one IRA and Social Security, you should get that statement yep. fairly early and just mm -hmm. get in and get it done. Yep. The more complex is if you got more 1099s, K1s coming around. Any if you have a trust account with investments, that's sometimes where yep. they reclassify a dividend or have some overseas tax that comes due and they pay and it just tweaks the numbers a little bit. Yep. So and on that statement, you'll see that it says this is not complete information. So you always want to make sure when you get that tax statement, that it does have the completed one before mm -hmm. you file your taxes to save you from final amendment. And then obviously, December 31st, make sure you get your RMDs. Those required distributions need to come out before the end of the year. Any retirement account savings, particularly through work, IRAs you do have until you file your taxes. But uh, any gifting that you want to have done in that year has got to be done by December 31st. So yeah. those are kind of the major dates that you just want to keep in you, the back of your mind. And we come back to some, let's talk about some numbers. So let's go back to that 50-year-old, just turned 50. You've been maximizing your 401k contribution, which for 2024, for somebody who's under age 50, you can actually put $23,000 into a 401k plan, which is a lot. But if you turn age 50, there's what they call a catch-up provision. And you can actually add another $7,500 to that. So it's $30,500 plus the company match that you're able to put into a 401k plan if you're over age 50 now. So that's a that saves a lot of taxes and it really ramps up your retirement savings those last 15 years if you're able to do it. Yeah. And working usually right at the end of the, your career is the highest earning years. So taking advantage of those from a savings perspective and not retiring too early. Mm -hmm. It's okay to retire early as long as you're ready. Usually if you leave a high paying job, it's a lot harder to come back to another high paying job. So right. take advantage of these catch up contributions after 50 to increase your savings. And it just opens that door for early retirement or continuing. Because our favorite conversation to have is, well, you can retire, but you don't do you, have to. Do you want to? Do you want to? Yeah. Right. And we want to get there as soon as we can. And sometimes it's worth maybe changing jobs at that point if you don't like it. Yeah. I think the simple IRA, if you fall under a simple IRA limit, there's a contribution limit of 16000 or a catch-up of an extra $3,500 on there over the age of 50. So if you're not following under 401k and you fall under a simple IRA, the limits are a little bit different, but there's still a catch-up contribution there. <laughs> That's usually for smaller employers and self-employed people. So Yeah. And then into your traditional IRA, Roth IRA contributions, there's a catch-up there as well. Over 50, you get an extra $1,000 and your contribution limit for 2024 is $7,000. So all of these places, they all have a different reason to save. 
And so when you're looking about where's the best place to save, you want to look at all of these options, work 401ks, work sponsored retirement plans, 401ks, simples, 403bs. 403bs have kind of additional catch up if you fall under that window. Traditional IRAs, Roth IRAs. You just want to make sure you're maximizing the effectiveness of the dollar you're saving um, and getting it in the right bucket. But there is Roth eligibility limits. And so sometimes if you earn married filing jointly, if you earn over $240,000, you are no longer to make Roth contributions. And so you kind of have to do what's called a backdoor Roth. It's just- yeah. <laughs> you can still do it. It's just, you have to jump through a few more hoops. You just do a, a traditional IRA contribution, and then you, IRA contribution and then you do, and then do a Roth conversion. So right. it you know, kind of ends up being the same thing, but they make you jump through the hoops. I guess probably hoping people don't do it, you know, right? because those Roths are phenomenal. And so- Kind of what I always recommend people doing is if you're married, earning over that $240,000, have that $7,000 ready to go. And then when you go file your taxes, just ask your accountant, which one does it need to go into? Mm-hmm. Do I need to do a Roth conversion? Because all that can be from the IRA perspective, doesn't have to be done until you file your taxes. So have the money ready to go and then work with your accountant. Does it need to be a Roth conversion through a non-deductible IRA contribution or can you just put it right into the Roth? Because it's not really an investment decision. It's a tax decision. Right. And your CPA is best suited to kind of help you with that. But have the money ready to go. Yes. It's even better. I think my favorite way to do it is you already have it in the market in a taxable investment account, like a trust account mm-hmm. or an individual account. So it's already in the market. It's already growing. And then when the time comes to make that contribution, you just you let us know and we put it in the appropriate account for you. Yeah. That's just kind of the conversation if you're a high income earner wanting to make that Roth contribution. So this is kind of an interesting number, the estate and gift tax lifetime exemption. You know, right now, if you, everybody's heard about the death tax. And and I remember when I first started out, you know, the death tax was anything over $250,000. I mean, if, if somebody had a net worth over $250,000, they were subject to death tax. Which, and which then is it went usually up, at the highest tax rate. Yeah. Right? The states oh, are usually yeah. taxed at the highest yeah, level. like up to 55%. And then it went to 600000 It was 600000 for a long time. And then they started to raise it. It got to be $3.5 million. Well, right now, it's uh, $13,600,000. So, and that's for each, if you're married, it's for each spouse. So you don't really have to worry about it unless you're worth over $25 million, which cuts out 98% of the people, which is nice. There's but that's going to go down. It's sunsetting in 2025. Yeah. So yeah. 2025, it's going to sunset and it's going to come back down to, I, I think, around $5 million, which mm-hmm. is still a, a pretty good amount, but it is going to come down. So, and the one that goes along with that is the gift tax. People always want to give money to kids and grandkids and help them with their houses and stuff like that. But if you give any person other than your spouse more than $18,000 in a year, you're required to file a gift tax return. It's not taxable to them. It's taxable to the giver. And so you have to be careful about that. But you can do them in combination with the spouse to increase that limit. You can do it to, you know, if it's a married couple giving to another married couple, that's kind of some ways. It quadruples it up. (laughs) So there are some things you can do. So you just have to be careful how you do it. Yeah. If you're up around that $18,000 limit and trying to do more than that, be careful. Yeah. (laughs) It yeah. doesn't mean you can't do it. You just have to be a little bit more careful and clear about how it's being done. Right. That can be really complicated. So if you want to do that, just call us and we'll help you walk through it. Right. Right. 
And then also a health savings account. If you're eligible for an HSA, the family limit this year is $8,300. For the individual, it's $4,150. That's a great place. If you have a health savings account, it is a great place to save. Yeah. So just make sure you're taking advantage of that. And if you don't use it, it stays there and earns interest or, or you can even invest it. It's a lot better than the old, uh, what they used to call that? Flex the, savings account. Yeah, flex savings. You get the deduction for that, but you got to use it or lose that. Yeah. So you save $600 and at the end of the year, you've only spent 300 It's like, well, let's go buy $300 worth of aspirin. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, the HSA is a, is a lot better of a situation. Yeah. Um, I wish those limits went along with your deductible. Yes. But they don't. And a lot of plans now actually are above what you can actually save into an HSA, which is, so you have to watch out for that. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, make sure if you're eligible for an HSA, it's a great place to save. On the federal income tax brackets, the one I always like to keep an eye out initially, this is just how much income tax you're subject to, what rate you're subject to is the, is the bracket that jumps from 12% to 22%. That's a big jump. Yep. 10 to 12 is not bad. But from 12 to 22, that is nearly a double. And it's just on the dollars you earn over that. So if you go mm -hmm. over, it doesn't work retroactively and charge 22% on everything previously. But that number for this year is 94300 for a married couple. For a single individual, it's 47150 So if your taxable income is in that range, just keep an eye out for it, knowing that maybe it's worth using some 401ks or IRAs to reduce your income to keep you in that 12% or, or if you're well below it, maybe it's a good time to take advantage and do a Roth conversion. Right. So there's some things like that, that you want to look at, but that, that limit there is 94,300 for a married couple, the jump from 12 to 22. So just keep that one in the back of your mind. Yeah. Maybe we should just do a quick example on a Roth conversion. Let's say that your taxable income's 70,000 and you have money in a Traditional IRA, you're wondering if you should convert it to a Roth, you're retired. If your taxable income is 70000 you could move. And you're married. And you're married. You can move another $20,000, $24,000 over from your traditional IRA over into a Roth, and you would only pay the 12% tax on that. And then once it's in the Roth, it's just good to go. You never have to pay any taxes on that going forward. So that's what we talk about, maximizing that your current tax bracket with a Roth conversion. Right. And there's a few more complexities to that. And that's just a good example. But that is always worthwhile to look at and why we like to look at taxes every year, mm -hmm. because maybe we're leaving some bracket use on the table. I just don't have any faith that tax rates are going to go below 10, 12% ever. Right. Yeah. And so if you can, if you can pull money out at that rate, you probably should. Well, and I think it leads to kind of the general conversation and idea that we have around taxes. Pay your share, but don't leave a tip, right? Right. You know? Yeah. And and the kind of the overall goal is lifetime tax rates, mm -hmm. not necessarily year by year. Sometimes it's worth paying the taxes, like in the example you gave, because it's at the 12% rate, instead of just trying to avoid the taxes altogether, because maybe by the time you go pull it out of your traditional IRA down the road, you're in the 22 or 34% bracket. Now you're behind the eight ball when you could have converted it years previous at the 12% rate. And, so, and, it, and it is fairly complicated because you have other assets and, right. and you're never going to be above the 12%. And that's why you say, if when you get your taxes done, send them to us, we'll take a look at them and see if there's something we should be doing here. Right. And we always want to talk to your CPA too. Yep. You know, want to make sure they're in the loop. There's no surprises for anybody, but there's you know a lot of opportunities there to 
take advantage and and just work to lower the overall tax rate you'll pay in your lifetime, not mm-hmm. necessarily in any given year. The other one to look at, I think, is the long-term capital gains. I think a lot of people are surprised by this. It's easy to forget that taxable income and capital gains are in two different buckets. Yeah. Um, and your capital gains, generally speaking, sit on top of your taxable income. So they're kind of the last ones in. Mm-hmm. And it's, I don't know why these numbers don't match up. There's got to be a reason, but the zero to 15% rate for a married couple. So if you have all your income together with your capital gains on top is below $94,050. <laughs> it's a 0% tax rate. So, you know, it's 94,050 versus the 94,300. Yeah. I, can we just line those up? But, yeah. you know, I don't know. So, but, but zero tax. That's, I mean, that's amazing. And this is why one reason I'm a big fan of after tax investment accounts mm-hmm. is because you can utilize some of those capital gains every year and potentially not pay any taxes on right. it. Right. And you still have access to the money. It's not locked up in a retirement account. Right. It's not locked up in some insurance product. It's I can get to this money anytime I want. And I'm, if done right, potentially paying 0% capital gains on it. Yep. So, and then the jump up is at 15%. So it's still, generally speaking, lower to some degree than your taxable income rate. So capital gains, it's a great advantage if you can start filling that bucket, potentially save you some taxes over the course of your year. Yes. Standard deductions, just to keep in mind, so you either itemize, right, or you take the standard deduction. The standard deduction for a married couple is 29200 mm-hmm. uh, or for a single is 14600 And then I think kind of the last number that I had was if you are taking Social Security and you are below reti- full retirement age, right, and you happen to earn some money, you go out and you get a job just because you're bored maybe, and you earn over $22,320, every dollar over that, you get dinged a dollar for every $2 you earn on your Social yeah. Security benefit. So if you're taking Social I'm Security- I'm not sure who dreamed up that law. Uh, that just seems yeah. wrong on so many levels. Uh, but <laughs> anyway, it is- it's there. So yeah. if you're below your full retirement age and you're taking social security and you want to keep earning income, just be careful because yeah. it can be costly from a tax perspective. Yeah. Just keep it under 22,000 in income. Now that doesn't include your interest and dividends and capital gains. I mean, that's just, you know, if you go get a job and W2 wages needs to be under 22,000, anything under that, you're fine. So yeah, just be careful there. I think that's one that catches some people by surprise. Well, I think we've covered plenty of numbers and dates. Yeah, sorry about that. That gets a little convoluted, all the numbers, but I hope you heard something that piqued your interest. If you need more information, certainly let us know and we'll get some info out to you. Right. If one of those numbers or dates kind of sounded like it falls into your life this year, give us a call. Thanks for listening again. Take care. Thank you for tuning in and listening to Your Investment Partners with Paul and Garrett. If you like what you heard, be sure to subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Also, visit us at sninvestment.com, where you can subscribe to our newsletter to keep you up to date. See you in the next episode. Kessler, Norman, and Ride, LLC, DBA, Ascend Investment Partners, is a registered investment advisor. Advisory services are only offered to clients or prospective clients where our firm and its representatives are properly licensed or exempt from licensure. No advice may be rendered by Ascend Investment Partners unless a client service agreement is in place. The opinions expressed in this podcast are for general informational purposes only and are not intended to provide specific advice, performance data, 
or recommendations that any particular security portfolio of securities transaction or investment strategy is suitable for any specific person. This program is only intended to provide education about the financial industry. All opinions contained in this podcast are subject to change at any time without notice. To determine which, if any, investments may be appropriate for you, please consult with your financial advisor prior to investing. Any past performance discussed during this podcast is not guaranteed of future results. As always, please remember that all investing involves risk and possible loss.